0: A warm welcome to Beth Wood, our artist for today. And a warm welcome to you all. Lovely to see you here. Special welcome to our visitors. We hope that you find here what you are hoping to find. We come here to see one another's faces, to be challenged, to be entertained, to be fed to be nourished and transformed, and to do that for other people as well. I hope all of that happens this morning. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We aspire to be welcoming to people of all socioeconomic backgrounds, skin colors, sexual orientations, gender identifications, political parties, um, Taste in music, etc. If you are a visitor this morning and you have questions about this place, please stop by the visitor's table where knowledgeable and friendly people will do their best to answer any questions that you might have. We come from a long heritage, Unitarians and Universalists. In that long heritage, For centuries, they have taught that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is as part of that heritage that I ask you to greet the
1: holy in our midst by turning to your right and left and welcoming the people who are next to you. The words of Ralph Waldo Emerson
0: A person will worship something, have no doubt about that. We may think our tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of our hearts, but it will out. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and our character. Therefore, it behooves
1: us to be careful what we worship, for what we are worshiping we are becoming. All right, so our spring theme this year is enoughness, which is a Quaker concept. Enoughness.
0: What is enough money? What is enough time? What is enough friendship? What is enough activity, uh, activism? What is enough of whatever you're doing? And Tuesday is the vernal equinox, where the day and the night are of equal length, and so, when it comes time for the equinoxes, I w- always want to talk about balance, and I think balance and enoughness go together pretty well. I think about the equinox, and I, um, I want to feel it in my body and in my spirit. I want to, I want to believe that um, there might be a moment when this whirling dance of seasons and cycles just pauses for a moment, where. The world takes a little breath, but I have never been able to feel that. I don't think it does. I don't think it stops. I think it just keeps swirling like life does, and you can't really say, "I just want to," "I just want to time out for a little bit." Just let me stop dancing just for a moment. It's no, your life just keeps happening to you, and the world keeps turning, and the seasons keep going, and um, you can't hold on to spring because summer's going to come, you know, and it's going to be 110. So we're thinking about enoughness, and um, about 40 of us last Wednesday night had supper because you know we have supper here every Wednesday, and so we ate lentil soup and had bread and we watched the movie. Uh, it was a PBS documentary called Affluenza. Now some people were a little grumpy because it was dated. You know, people had their 90s hair and their 90s glasses in the movie, but I thought that people would have fun watching. Um, watching well, number one, the gas prices back then, which were ridiculous. And um, number two, it was fun to see evangelist Ted Haggard while he was still self-righteous. He was interviewed, and he was talking about the sanctity of family and how it's really important just to focus on your family and stuff. You know, sorry, i mean that way. It was just fun, like before the paid male escort and the crystal meth, to um, watch him while he was still glowing. And it was educational in that way, and I say educational because of this. Um one of the things that we learn as spiritual people or spirited people, however you want to think about it, I think they're equivalent, um, one of the things you learn is that self-righteousness is the root of all bad behavior. And so when we talk about enoughness, I want us to focus on our own lives rather than shaking our fingers at other people and scolding them about their consumption. Um, we just look to ourselves first and be willing to change our own lives before we start browbeating other people into being righteous, which is really ever so much more fun than trying to be righteous to your own self. I know that is true. However, Ted Haggard is a good cautionary tale. And because, you know... We think of enoughness here, and we think of how much of a consumer society ours is. And I could have a whole sermon about Americans are such a consumer society, and everybody else consumes so much less. But you all know that. You know that. I would be really. I want to give you something useful on a Sunday morning, and just feeling righteous because we know that Americans consume too much is really not it's kind of like cheap, righteous feeling. You know, it's not the real thing. And so I'm all about the real thing here. So let's talk real, let's talk about us, not all those other people. Because I know that most of us really don't feel like um, our lives are centered at the mall. And most of us don't feel like new shoes are going to change our life, unless we're really, really tired or we just change jobs or something. But we do we do have that just one more book thing. <laughs> or a really good bicycle or that new Prius. I mean, we really do have a craving for more knowledge. And we have a craving for more uh, purity of our... Uh, uh, stock portfolio and purity of our diet and we have this sense that um, that if we just get the right equipment for our whatever it is that will that will be better off and I want to tell you that's not bad there's nothing bad in buying stuff even though today is our buy nothing day. This is our buy nothing day. But I do want to say that there's a special dispensation for buying CDs from Beth Wood. Because it is just her bad luck that she is here on Buy Nothing Day. And she should not have to pay that price. So except for buying CDs from Beth Wood out there after the the, uh, service, we're trying to have a Buy Nothing today. Um, And... (laughs) And see what it feels like. Just, I think it's just going to be incredibly inconvenient. <laughs> but um, inconvenience is how people um, trick themselves into mindfulness, apparently. I don't know. I, I stink at mindfulness, so don't take it from me. So the thing about enoughness is there's no real list about, you know, this is enough money for you. This is enough time for you. Um, this is enough freedom for you. This is enough free speech for you. This is enough uh, success for you. This is enough of a house for you. We don't have a list like that. And there shouldn't be a list. There's not one answer for everybody. There's not even one answer for the same person at every stage in their life. You just have to constantly have that question in the back of your mind. What is enough for me? What is enough success for me? What is enough... um, friendship for me? What is enough contact with my family for me? What is enough um, uh, addressing the sufferings of the world for me? Should I be doing it uh, all the time? What is enough effort for me to put into this thing? There's a tarot card that I get all the time, um, which is, uh, uh, I'll talk to you about all that sometime. It's, it's uh, somewhat scientific and somewhat not. But there's one that says, you are bringing more to the situation than is required. Because we have this, we have this kind of like motivational speaker uh, culture out there that goes like, "Give hundred and ten percent, no matter what you're doing." Why? That's crazy. Some things you can do with seventy <laughs> percent. So, um, how do you how do you know it's enough for you? And I'm thinking the way that you recalibrate yourself to understand enough is that you have to find your center because unless you're a centered person you're, you're going to be flopping wildly all around like uh, I don't know how many of you are hippie enough to have thrown a pot in your lifetime on a potter's wheel but there is this uh, technique where you have to slam the clay down right in the very middle of the wheel otherwise the more the wheel spins and you try to push on it it just kind of goes like this and you make a mess and I've done that a number of times um But if you're skilled enough, you can whomp it right down in the middle. And then the more things spin and the more pressure is put on, then you get something useful and beautiful. And I think our lives are like that. You know, we have to find our center and be either rooted or centered, somehow balanced so that the more things spin and the more pressure is put on, we can find a way to just be uh, still at some place in ourself. And this can happen to you. Um, I've felt it like four times in my life. And um, it's not a constant state of mind. It's an every now and then thing, except, you know, unless you're the Dalai Lama or something. And even him, you throw him into a kindergarten full of uh, kindergartners for like a week, and we'll see how how, how serene he is. I'm just saying, life can happen to even the best of us, and um, so what we do is we seek our center, and we find it now and then, and then we can find it more and more easily, and people find your center um, a number of different ways. A lot of people use many ways to find it. Some people meditate, and some people pray, some people hike, some people do Deep breathing. For other people, it's good conversation or song. For other people, it's um, coming to church. And then for some people, coming to church makes it worse. (laughs) Spending time with your companion animals. All of these things are ways that we can find our center. Some people do it by traveling. And they just say, "Ah, I know who I am here in Austin, but who would I be in Nepal? What would come with me there? Where is my center? Would I pare it down enough if I were way far away from here to know what's essential to me? Finding your center involves asking yourself, what's important to me? What do I steer by? What are my decisions made on the basis of? One way to, to get some clues about what's important to you is to look at your bank statement and see where does your money go? What, what kinds of things do you spend your treasure on? And, and those are the places where your, where your heart is. Another way of figuring out what's important to you is figuring out what do you spend your time on? Um, many of us, just out of necessity, spend most of our time on work. And so I want to ask you also, what do you spend your mind's time on? Because you can be at work and your mind is doing something else. If you have certain kinds of jobs, um, you can, you, you don't have to actually be there. So where is your mind? Are you living your life? Or are you living your child's life, or your parent's life, or your spouse's life? Because some people sit there their whole lives long, and they're happy when this other person is happy. Or they feel satisfied when this other person isn't drinking. Or they feel happy when this other person has a good job, and you just, you're not even living your own life. You know what I'm talking about? So, all right, what do you spend your mind's time on? Some people spend their whole mind's time having fights with other people who aren't there. (laughs) I had a client once who called that Skull Cinema. She said, said, I've been watching Skull Cinema all night having a fight with my boyfriend. She said he wasn't there. (laughs) I knew what he would say, though, so he was such a jerk. (laughs) So what are you spending mind time on? What are you spending money on? What are you spending yourself on? And is that really what you want to spend your time on? What is important to you? I'm going to talk more about this in other sermons. I'm going to be here for years. And we're going to talk all about this. But so I want I want you to think about maybe what would you like to steer by? What would you like to have be of utmost importance for you? If you can boil it down to a word or two, write it on your bulletin so you'll have have it right there. This is, this is what's important to me. This is what I really want. Is it security? Is it affection? Is it love? Is it money? Is it um, appreciation? Is it fame? Is it success? What do I really want? Is it the highest art? Is it the most beauty? What... Is it that I'm steering by? What's my north star when I'm in the middle of a of a crisis of where do I go next or what do I do or do I do this or here? um, What is that one thing that I'm steering by? And I think you know what it is in your in your heart of hearts. You have an inner wisdom. It's working pretty well, I'm guessing. And um, just ask your inner wisdom what it is, and know that balance and enoughness doesn't make you a static person. So if if you're a balanced person, you're going to have passions about things. You're going to throw yourself into things. Being balanced doesn't mean neutral. It doesn't mean just completely like, oh, I could take or leave this. I don't care who I'm with. I don't care what my surroundings look like. I don't care what I'm doing for a living because I'm balanced. No, that's not what it is. You can be a passionate person You can be a person who's full of questions. You can be a person who's hot, who's cold, who's sometimes content, sometimes discontent, because life calls for all of those things. You know what I mean? When you talk about enoughness, I hear the artists and the entrepreneurs and the athletes in the room going, I can't be satisfied. I cannot just say, oh, this is enough skill. I've got to always be pushing to that next level of of skill. I understand that. There's a certain amount of divine discontent that is really important for many, many people in their lives. But you've got to balance (laughs) the discontent with the content. And how do you find a little time when you can actually be happy with what you've done? I have a great friend who's up classical pianist, and he just tears it up, and you can go to one of his concerts, and you can say, Doug, that was amazing, and he'll go, oh, and he always has a criticism of himself. He just can't let himself be happy, and I don't know if that's all artists or whether that's just 98% of them, but (laughs) nobody ever goes, yeah, I hit that one out of the park. I know preachers who think that. Sometimes they're wrong.
1: <laughs> and by they, I mean we.
0: <laughs> the non-staticness of it is fascinating to me. Life, I'm going to borrow a phrase from a Zen psychotherapist, life is playing ball on running water. And so your, the events of your life, are turbulent under your feet. Your emotions push you this way or that way. Your thoughts about what's happening to you push you this way or that way. The stories you tell yourself inside your head are murmuring and upheavaling under your feet. I know that's not a word. I just made it up. And, um, and you have these thoughts. You go... Uh, I'm not smart enough. I didn't read enough. I'm not um, cute enough. I'm not thin enough. My shoes aren't cute enough. I I wish people would get along in peace. Why can't they just have peace? People should be nice to each other. People should. Oh, man, that's a sentence that's guaranteed to bring you misery. People should. Whatever you say after that, it's going to be miserable. There's not really a sane reason to hang on to that thought. What am I doing with my life? Is it enough? What have I done? One of my dear relatives, who is a very famous preacher, his last words are said to have been, Have I done enough? Oh, that just breaks my heart because nobody did more than he did. It wasn't all great, but he did a lot. They were gonna put on his tombstone all um, never uh what is often in error, never in doubt. <laughs> So the question of enoughness is at the heart of peace. It's at the heart of saving the earth. It's at the heart of contentment. Do I have enough? What is enough for me? And also, of course, you have to think about what is enough for the rest of the people. What is enough for them out there? What is enough for the person sitting next to me? Um, We are, as spiritual, spirited people, we're concerned with those who don't have enough. I was raised with the starving children in Africa at my table. I was raised with the abused children in inner city Philadelphia in the living room. I was raised, my dad was a newsman. He, he saw all the terrible things in the world happening, even in the tiny little corners of the globe. All those terrible things would come into the newsroom, and he would cry, and he would, and he would um, do the news, 6 and 11 o'clock, and he would come home and say, what are we going to do about these things why does God let this happen? And then he would go, I know God lets it happen because we let it happen. We are the hands and feet of God. We have to make it better. And so I was raised just to try to make it better all the time and never let those people leave my mind. And it started interfering with my enjoyment of my life. And I was having a very nice life, but I wasn't enjoying it because of the people who were suffering like in Bosnia. And so I said to myself, um, I was swimming laps and, and uh praying, meditating, and I said, uh, I, I cannot enjoy my life while those people are in trouble in Bosnia. <laughs> and um, my inner wisdom said, well, go over there then. <laughs> I was like, I have two small children under the age of six. And my inner wisdom said, right. So, well, what can I do? I'm like, Nothing. Nothing right now. You enjoy your life. You enjoy your life because you're being miserable while you're swimming laps here in this little pool in South Carolina. You're being miserable. Is that helping those people in Bosnia? No, it's not. Is it hurting your life? Yes, it is. So you alleviate the suffering that's in front of you. You alleviate the suffering that you have the power to alleviate, and then you enjoy your life. Know what I'm saying? What is enough? Worry about other people? Well, very little because it doesn't do any good. What is enough browbeating people and saying, people should live in peace? <laughs> Has that ever worked? No. If we have balance, if we're working on enoughness in our own life, I do believe that we will have the power of attraction, as the 12-step people say. The power of attraction and not promotion. You're not going to have to to browbeat other people and scold at them and say, other people don't have enough. You should be doing more. We know that. We know that. Give me something to do, and I'll either do it or not do it. That's what we're going to try to do here. Alleviate the suffering. Enjoy your life. If you've got money, let's talk about money for a second. What's enough? The received wisdom says everybody thinks they'd have enough money if they had 20% more than they have now. You're making $20,000 a year. You just want 20% more than that. You have $200 million. You just want a couple more millions. You know, 20% more millions. And then you'd be really, really there. I I, I have a delightful friend. Who, who has, like, you know, depending on the stock market, between 50 and $150 million. And her, her husband is still a little worried. He thinks $200 million would be would feel really safe. That would, that's what would feel safe. And so, okay, you know, I, I'm not going to argue. Well, not much. Not much. You've got to have your own self adjusted in your mind. I have a friend who's a teacher, so you know how much she made. Um, She decided to do an altar, a prayer of spell, same thing, to be rich. So she did this thing, and I asked her, I said, how's it going, the spell you did to be rich? And she said, you know, it's working, but not the way I thought. She said, I woke up this morning, and I turned on the water in the kitchen. I was like, wow, there's hot water coming out of the wall. And I've got a washing machine right there on the porch. And I can use it anytime I want to. And I have a bedroom to myself and a bed. And um, anyway, she started feeling rich. It was temporary, of course, but... <laughs> and some people, you know, I'm talking to kind of middle-class people here. Some people, no matter what kind of attitude adjustment you have in your head, you still need fair wages and fair housing and you need social... Fairness and justice in order to have enough. And we need to work on that. Yes, we do. And we're going to try. Something that people with a lot, a lot of money have to worry about is what is enough to give my kids? What's enough help to give? Because you can ruin somebody by giving too much. And you really have to struggle with. How much do I give my kids that will help them? And how much do I give my kids that will harm them? Money's like medicine, you know. You have to give just the right amount. So I've asked plenty of questions this morning. I've offered just a few opinions. And I want to close with a a quote by William Ellery Channing, one of the other forebears of our movement. He was in the 1800s, a Unitarian minister. He said this. To live content with small means. To seek elegance rather than luxury and refinement rather than fashion. To be worthy, not respectable, and wealthy, not rich. To, to listen to stars and birds, babes and sages with open heart. To study hard. To think quietly. Act frankly. Talk gently. Await occasions. Hurry never. In a word, to let the spiritual Unbidden and unconscious. Grow up through the common. This is my symphony. And
1: what is enough preaching? This is. Remember the way of the wind And
0: breathe and blow Remember the way of the fire, and sparkle, and glitter, and glow. Remember the way of the water, and ebb, and flow. Remember the way of the
1: earth, and grow. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of
0: Austin. For more information, visit our website at
1: www.austinuu.org.